Hi, this is Frank, the co-host of the show. Just a quick advertisement and we'll get started. The show is brought to you by Viral Marketing, which is my firm, and Chris Waters, who offers a way to scale his real estate team systems fast and profitably in your market. I mean, he's done over a thousand transactions a year in Austin. It's a business in a box, if you will. Anyway, I encourage you to go to getviral.com and download a free copy of our official video marketing plan that we recommend uh, you implement to stay in better touch with your database uh, using video and social media and email so more people call you to list their home. I also want you to go to themilliondollarrealestateteam.com and get yourself a free copy of Chris's book he wrote on how he earned after expenses, this is net profit, $1 million in only three years since starting his team. So that's it. No more commercial. And let's get to the show. One, two, three, go. All right, do it. The Listing Lead Show. Hey, everyone. Welcome. We're back to Listing Lead Show. It's with Chris Waters and I. We talk about everything you want to know about getting listings. It's funny. When we started the podcast, there just wasn't really anything on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Like, just getting listings. It was all really wide in scope on, like, personal development and just kind of interviews all over the place. We wanted to create something on getting listings or really more specifically, just getting sellers to call you and hire you. Uh, today's show is a little bit different. We're going to probably go down more of the investment route, Chris. I want to introduce Isabel here shortly. She's up in Northern Arizona and uh, I met her at a mastermind and she shared something in that mastermind that I think is going to dramatically change uh, how we go after investment opportunities. And you could probably also use it on the listing side, which we'll talk about too, Elizabeth. But uh, not Elizabeth, Isabel. <laughs> I apologize. It's been a long no, day. No, you're fine. So Isabel, welcome. Say hello to the show. You're on the Listing Lead Show with Chris and Frank. Thanks very much. I'm very excited to be here. I'm a big fan of you and everything that you do, Frank. So I was pleased to be invited. Cool. We're going to talk about getting listings and getting sellers. I think I want to take this discussion first down the investment side. Um, but before we do that really quickly, you said something before the show that once you get the taste of a wholesale deal when you're a listing agent, it's very hard to go back. Is that correct? Oh my gosh. You know, the great irony is sometimes I'll talk to um, wholesalers that think they don't like agents. And sometimes I'll talk to agents who think they don't like wholesalers. And the thing that I find funny is it's all the same business, right? It's all just putting deals together and talking to people and figuring out how you can meet a need. But what I think agents don't realize is that when you're dealing with an investment deal, typically because you're dealing with a buyer who's purchasing as is, and they're buying with all cash. Once you've paired the buyer with the deal, it's the easiest deal you've ever done. So just to back up a little bit, I have both a wholesale business and a retail business. We have a team, a traditional team that does exactly what you think of when you think of real estate agents. And then we have also a wholesale team that... Their main job is to reach out to people and offer to purchase their home for cash. So we actually have both arms. And I think what is the best strategy out there is to have both a wholesale investment business and also to have a retail business. They couldn't pair more nicely together and they couldn't complement each other more. And I think um, anybody who's got only one is only taking bites of one side of the apple. You know, you're just not optimizing your business the way you really could be if you had both. Give everyone a quick background of your production and how much business you do there in your market. Yeah, of course. So we're in Northern Arizona. Um, I do about 150 homes a year on the retail side. And then we do, I bet we do 75 deals on the wholesale side this year. That's incredible. Okay. So you decided to launch an investment division that probably focused on the bottom half of the market with, from the median price point in the market with uh, a listing side that focused on the other side of the market, the more expensive price points. Do you operate both businesses under the same brand or are they separate brands? They're separate businesses. So anytime you're looking at having both an investment business and a retail business, my advice would always be to keep them totally separate. So a wholesale or investment business is going to have its own type of contract. It's going to have its own brand. It's 
its own logo. You don't want to confuse the two. Its own brand. And especially where you're looking at issues of representation, if you're dealing with a seller, you want them to know specifically if you're purchasing the home directly as a buyer or if you're representing them as an agent. You want to just be really clear about that. And for that reason, I would always keep the two distinct and different. So if somebody calls me on the investment side... I think the regulatory boards. Need yeah, to say you want to be. You want to be really. Clear. They're, they're really clear on keeping very clear. Of, are you representing yourself or someone else, and where Absolutely. that line is drawn? And I mean, if, even for me, if somebody were to call me on the investment side, I have one phone number. If someone calls me as an agent and they want to hear, "Hey, this is Isabel, agent," they call me on a different phone number. So you're always going to want to keep that really distinct and different. But I do still think it's two sides of the same coin, two bites of the same apple. Um, you can use the same software, you can use the same admins, you can use all the infrastructure that you currently have, but you would want to have two separate companies that were each representing themselves differently. So our investment business is called Quad City What's Properties. What's your investment business called? And we buy primarily in Northern Arizona, but all over Arizona. Okay. Uh, my listing business is called the Stonebreaker Group. And what's your listing business called? So that's my last name, Stonebreaker. Got it. Nice. Okay. Let's divide this conversation. Let's go down the investment side. Okay. Someone's listening to this podcast and going, okay, I'm selling real estate. I'm getting listings. I get the game of, I've been listening to the listing lead show. I understand I get listing leads, but I love the idea of opening up a totally separate business that doesn't collude the message of my main business, total separate brand, total separate LLC, quad city properties, right? Who's the target market for Quad City Properties? So typically, if somebody's looking to get a cash offer on their house, it's somebody with some level of distress in their life, right? So normally, the reasons that people are going to wholesale or sell to a cash investor are there's something wrong with the house, they don't have money to fix it, or they live out of state and they don't want to deal with it. It either has to do with convenience or just don't have money to fix a problem, right? So I started thinking a while back, you know, who is going to buy a property that we bought for cash, right? And typically we're selling to an end user investor. So we're looking to purchase something that an investor could really easily sell. So investors like a house that's easy to sell. So 15 to 2,500 square feet, three to four bedrooms. Typically here, it's going to be one level. So we're looking to buy in that, uh, in that, yeah, that target market. That target market. At what price point? So the median, so the median price so, uh, point the in median, the market is about what? Yeah, the median price point in our market Average is median. about four hundred thousand dollars. So we're typically looking to buy a house that's about three hundred thousand dollars. And typically with wholesale, I tell people look to buy at seventy five percent. So about seventy five percent below the median price in your exactly. market. Exactly, it'll be there. really easy to sell because once you have a deal tied up, you also want to be able to sell it to an end buyer. You want something that investors will love. And really quickly, just for the audience, will you just quickly in one minute or less explain wholesaling? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, what is it? Yeah, so if you're a realtor and you're looking to sell a house, you're helping that seller sell for the least money possible. On the wholesale side, you're trying to get the very best deal for the buyer possible. So, the goal is you're chatting with the seller and you're saying, hey, um, what would you sell this property for? Uh, you're tying it up at a specific price and then you're selling it to an investor for, at a markup. So the way that a wholesale company makes money is let's say you buy a house for $100,000 and you sell that contract for $120,000. A wholesaler would actually make, you make the spread. A spread. They'd make $20,000 selling the actual contract. What's your typical wholesale fee Ours on that spread versus your commission? So on direct mail, we're making about $10,000. And on pay-per-click, we're making on average about $20,000. Um, and on this the investment is gonna side? Be, yeah, on the investment side. So you're looking at, if you were going to um, sell those same houses retail, you would make a commission of maybe $6,000. So it's almost two to three times what you'd make. And if it's a very low price point, it could be astronomically more. You know, I mean, if you look at, say you stumbled across a house for $30,000 and you were to list that, 
you're going to make what 900 bucks but potentially you could find an investor who would pay 50,000 for that $30,000 house and you could make $20,000 so the time versus money conversation just becomes much more interesting at those lower price points on the investment side i've got some questions for you specific to your team it sounded like some of your administrative team sure. members are cross-functional across the two entities. What about your agents? Are they sponsored by one entity or the other? So we do have some agents who work on the wholesale side too, who work both types of leads. Um, and then we have some agents that do only retail and some that do only wholesale. It would probably depend on the person who worked for us. But what I find is actually, if you've been in real estate quite a long time, then you're good at solving problems. And a lot of these wholesale deals have some problems that you're sort of working through. They're maybe a little different, but most People that I know that are experienced with real estate actually really like it because you can use your skill set and your creativity maybe in a different way, you know? How many pieces of direct mail do you have to send out before you acquire a customer? Well, that's the next question. Let's let's lead up to that because <laughs> Isabel has... I want to talk about why I brought you on here with that preface of everything we talked about so far is you have an incredible strategy to basically send blind offers, like full-blown purchase contracts with a price saying, I want to pay you X number of dollars for your house. Call me. Will you explain how you use direct mail with your cold offer system? Like literally putting the offer in the mail unsolicited. Yeah, of course. So traditionally, we had been just a cold calling team. We'd made calls. We'd ask people, hey, do you want to sell your home for cash? And we did that right through the beginning of COVID. And at the very beginning of COVID, our acquisition manager quit, the person who was going on all the appointments. And I was nine months pregnant. And I thought, you know, I'm not really interested in going into these mold infested houses, making people offers, potentially getting COVID. It just, it just didn't sound great. So I switched strategies at the very beginning of coronavirus um, and started just sending people direct mail. And the direct mail that I sent them is just a cold offer. So if I were going to mail you, I would send you a mail piece that said, hey, Frank, I'm interested in buying your house. Um, I haven't been able to get a hold of you on the phone, but here is an offer on your house. It is a real offer. And it would be a four-page wholesale contract with his name, his address, the amount that I'd be willing to pay for it. And what I loved about it was it was completely binary, right? So it's either a yes or no. So Frank will either call me and he'll say, F you, this is the worst offer I have ever seen. How dare, <laughs> How dare you, you such you me some send me this offer. terrible offer? Or he would say... Um, yeah, I actually want to do this. This sounds like a great fit for me. And it worked like a charm. And I loved it because it saved me having to go on the appointment. Everybody who called me was either a yes or a no. You can tell from the voicemail if they're a yes or a no. So you spend all your time on people who already know what you would offer them. Um, and are already willing to do the deal. And by the time I get a yes, you know, there's one or two that don't work out, but at that point it's an 80 or 90% conversion rate. So every time I just think it's incredible that you just literally print off the purchase offer with the merge and the information. Do you sign it? Is it signed? Yep. So we sign it. It's a, well, I don't so sign the actual contract, but we do sign the cover letter. So I mean, it's a real offer. If they move forward, oftentimes they'll come back into our office with what Got we it, sent but the it. purchase contract isn't signed. That's correct. The thing. Yeah, correct. Okay. But even if it were, you know, I just even if it were, there's still an inspection period on it. There's still an out yeah. on it. It's still subject to inspection. Yeah, sorry, Chris, what were you going to ask? Yeah. How many off? Um, how many of these direct mail pieces are you sending? And are you? And then my second question to that is. Are you individually researching each property to come up with a value or do you have like a rough estimation tool and you're using like some static number like the county tax record value? So that's a great question. Let's let me answer that one first and then I'll talk about how many I'm sending. So um, 
typically, if I'm going to send an offer, I'm going to send it to anybody who has gotten that property for less than I'm offering. So a while back, I just thought, who even says yes to our investment deals? Who would say yes to that? And what's our main objection? Well, the main objection is I paid more for the property than you're offering. And that's why I don't want to do the deal. So I thought, well, what is- yeah, not what it's worth, because that's the anchor. Exactly right. And the way people psychologically work is they want to at least make a dollar if they've owned the property for any period of time. So I thought, well, if I pull a list of people who have purchased this property for at least less than I'm willing to offer it for, then they're more likely to say yes. So I went into the tax records and I'll pull by subdivision. Um, who purchased that property for less than I'm offering. And then I would sort that Excel data by square footage and make an offer that is specific to their home based on the square footage in their neighborhood or the square footage on their house. So I'll pull pricing based on the ARV in the neighborhood, but the offer that Frank would get be completely unique. So let me break this down because you explained this to me. It's why I brought you in on here. Essentially, you pull the area that you want to mail. And there will be, depending upon the software mm-hmm. that you use, I use a program called PropStream. You could also use Property Radar or uh, yep, PropStream work. or Realist. But it will have the estimated mm-hmm. value of the home. Mm-hmm. And then you're taking 75% Correct. off of the estimated value or the ARV, the after repair value called in investor land. And then once you just, once you subtract, yep. once you bring it down to 75% of estimated value, you then subtract off that $16 per square foot for estimated repair costs. So it's estimated value, less 25% Correct. discount, less $16 per square foot on the building. And there's your offer. Is that correct? Yep. At that point, if they say yes, you should have a house that's either going to be great for you to buy as an investment or that you could resale. Yep. Especially wholesale. An, and yeah. Yeah. You could wholesale it to an investor. So the, so the idea is a neighborhood that I would target to answer your question, Chris, would be 75% uh, or sorry, it would be, um, yeah, 75% of average home price in the area. So if average would be 400000 I'd go into a $300,000 neighborhood and then I would say, all right, well, who paid less for this house than I'm offering? I'd create a totally unique offer and then I'd mail merge it and send it out to them and they would get a completely unique offer with their name and address on it in the mail. And it would be a real offer, you know, something that we would honor and that we could close on. What what about just like unique nuances? Like for example, you direct mail someone that's got a 1500 square foot home versus 2500 square feet and there's called a 75 to $100,000 spread. If you're using for example, the neighborhood average and taking 75% of it on the smaller homes, you could be potentially in a situation where the, the margin is very small. So we actually look at sales prices in a neighborhood and would stratify the neighborhood. So we'd say, well, 15 to 1800 square feet, we're offering this. Uh, 1250 to 1500, we're offering this. Um, 1250 and below, we're offering this. So we would actually stratify it, which, yeah, similar to OfferPad, similar to what any of those. I got this in the mail today. Literally in the mail today. Go ahead, go ahead. So read this mailer. Okay, so you're you're downloading a master CSV file and looking at the square footage, sorting it by square footage, breaking in the categories as you suggested. And I'm assuming, I guess I would, I mean, if it was me, I would be taking like the average price per square foot because that adjusts, right? Typically price per square foot goes down as your square footage goes up. And so I imagine you have a different price per square foot per category. For example, 1000 1250 you know, you're going to have a pretty high price per square foot when you back out the 70, the 25% off full market value. So you could then, probably do it by price know. per square foot. I think you could stratify it and do it by ARV for that strata. I think either way would work. I think it, you're probably just looking at two of the same ways to do virtually the same thing, just figuring out what is your end price going to be and then and then backing into what you'd be willing to pay for it. 
I want to read yeah, this. Too. Okay. I, I understand what you're saying. Okay. I got it. There's, yep. there's a couple ways, by the way, I want to share because I've, I was playing around with this. Isabel has one way of getting this number. Let me show you how I got to the number. Isabel. Okay. Yeah. I love it. Is I download. Yeah. I download all the information from in, in, in the entire County. <laughs> so I took the entire County, not a neighborhood uh, of everything like 175,000 or less. Mm-hmm which is about 75% of the median value. So I was able to pull everything, um, $175,000 value. Okay. Then I said, okay, let's create a new column, 75% of that, of the estimated value of the home. Mm-hmm. Then I created a new column, $16 times- Square footage. The, yeah. Um, square footage, subtracted that. And then I adjusted, I, I subtracted the last sales price from the offer. And if it was positive, I kept those. It was negative. I got rid of the rest. Makes perfect sense. And now I have the offer price that was greater for every single home in the county than what they paid for it. (laughs) (laughs) So which goes back to Chris's question, how many do you mail? What's the conversion rate? So at this point, we're mailing about 2,000 letters a week and our conversion rate is 0.15%. So what is that for every 600-ish homes, 680 homes, we're getting a deal. Yeah, you're doing eight deals a month, eight, eight, 10 deals a month off that. That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And our average wholesale fee on that is about 10,000, just over $10,000. So it pays for itself. It's It's incredible ROI. Yeah, it's the best thing I've ever done. Yes, 8,000 letters is probably what, like $6,000, $6,000, $7,000 to mail it? What are, you, what are you paying per piece? Yep. We pay $313 per piece. Oh, you're a little more than a dollar a piece. Yeah, we're $313 per piece. $313 Yeah, per but piece. we still make- This is a t- number 10 envelope, a regular envelope? No. So I send it in a colored envelope about a party size. So my thought is I want someone to think they're getting a greeting card or an invitation to a party. I want them to open the mail piece. So I want it to look- not like business mail. I want it to look personal. Beautiful. But you're spending a little more to send it like a larger letter, like an yeah, I'm Yeah, sp- I'm spending to have it look like a piece of personal mail. So we use a stamp that looks like a piece of, like a personal mail stamp. We use a co- colored envelope. My recommendation is that it's card size so that someone thinks, ah, I got a birthday card or a wedding invitation yeah. or something they would want to open. Isabel, that's just so cool. When I heard that, I'm like, dude, just give them what they want, which is an offer. Yeah, it's I love it because you know? it's just really efficient and it's scalable too. So anytime you yeah. anytime you want to increase the amount of properties that you're wholesaling, all you do is you double your mail, right? Um, I already know what the conversion rate is, and that conversion rate is with somebody else answering the phone, not with me answering the phone. So it was a little higher when I was answering the phone. If you answered the phone yourself, you should get a much higher conversion rate, right? But anytime... Yeah, but also with the marketing doing such heavy lifting like that, you don't need much talent answering the phone. That's what I found. The marketing did a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, that's what I... You know, anytime you have an entrepreneur doing all the work themselves, um, there's a cost to that too, right? Because you can't scale it. But if there's somebody else who can do it 80% Mm -hmm. as well, then... You give it to that other person and you go live a happy life. I want to read to you guys this postcard I got from OfferPad today. So this is today. This is the, I mean, they've spent millions of dollars of researching the copy Mm -hmm. that goes on this postcard. I'm going to read it to you. So the last owner here, name was Clinton, apparently. (laughs) After I bought my house in Tennessee. Hi, Clinton. We want to buy your home. Sell direct to OfferPad to get a free, no obligation express cash offer within 24 hours. Get started at OfferPad.com slash mailer or call 615-882-1221. Get sold with OfferPad. Here's our estimated offer for your home at my address. 373000 to 461000 Sell your Sell your way with certainty and a solid cash purchase offer. Sell direct with a cash purchase offer. No showings. Pick your closing date. Free three-day extended stay after closing. And free local move. Request your free customized offer today. Offerpad.com slash mailer. Selling direct, not your way to go? Find out how you can get maximum muscle and value out of listing your home with us instead with Offerpad Flex. So here's a wholesaler 
flipping the leads to their listings. That's how I see it. I love the asterisk, by the way. Let me read the, hold on, there's an asterisk next to the price. You gotta have the asterisks. So there's an asterisk next to the price. Actual offer may be between 373 and 461. So basically, this advertising is meaningless because the weasel world may. <laughs> so it doesn't mean anything, right? Well, and that's the thing. Oh, Anytime somebody cold contacts you, you know, I mean, they've still got an inspection period and things like that built in, you know, because I've had people ask me, well, what if yeah. the house is totally destroyed where you, when you get there and you say, well, I done my inspection. I did not expect that you'd be hoarding rabbits inside your house. So we're going to need you know, a $20,000 price reduction to pay for the subfloor or whatever, right? Like, yeah. You know, I mean, everything is contingent no, cool. upon an Isabel, thanks for coming on here and sharing that. What a cool thing. I mean, the very first thing I did is I wrote that cover letter that I sent you, mm-hmm. like what the cover letter should be, saying, hey, I'm reaching out because I want to buy your home. If you don't like the price, let me know. I can adjust. It's negotiable. But I've attached an offer, and this is what I'd like to pay you. And I factored in a little bit of a discount for probably remodeling your kitchens and bathrooms since you've been living there since X number of Yep. I merged in, I think, the um, the year they bought it. <laughs> right? It's brilliant, actually. Um, and then I got the uh, I got the purchase contract down to a front page and a back page. Nice. And then I merged in all the merge fields. And I'll just go to the printer and they'll do all the merges for the offers. And they'll print it and they'll mail it out and we'll see what happens. I'm excited. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to do yeah, that. Yeah, I think you're going to be really excited. It's one of the best things I've done. And it's interesting because traditionally people do reach out with the postcard saying, I want to buy your house for cash, but don't say how much. Or they cold call, right? They're overdone. Yeah. But I think you'd be surprised the number of older people who love getting, you know, just something they can hold in their hand. And very honest. Yeah, here it is. It looks looks important. Yeah. It's a yes or no. Isabel, are you competing with iBuyers? We are. Yes. So we've got OfferPad and OpenDoor that are up here now. They're not everywhere. They're not buying manufactured homes. They're not buying certain ages of homes, things like that. But they are buying here. They just got here. It's relatively new in the Prescott area. But yeah, they are here. Do you think that's a threat to your business that because they're able to pay much more, significantly more than you, they could take some market share? You know, it's... You know, it's funny that you ask that because I actually train our acquisition people to start off with a cash offer from us. And if it doesn't work out, to then go to Open Door, Offer Pad, and solicit offers as a secondary backup so that we can monetize the lead further. So I think things cut both ways. I think it is possible that you'll lose some business to those iBuyers, but I think it's also possible that you can sell your deals to the iBuyers for more and pick up a deal you might not have had. So anytime an agent tells me, oh, I'm really threatened by iBuyers or I'm really threatened by hedge funds or I'm really threatened by whatever novel thing is coming into the market now, I just sort of laugh and go, look, how can the situation be for you? Um, if you can figure out how to turn it around and monetize the lead in a different way, then it could absolutely be as big a strength as it would be a potential um, threat. So so I think you probably, yeah, you do lose a few deals, but you gain a few too. You know, it's just monetizing differently. It's about the first person to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It's about the first person to get there and then you just solve the problem and you have a buffet of options to do it and you get a commission on everything. Well, and I think too, you creative. Isabel, what do you think? Oh, sorry. What were you going to ask? Just a, just a hypothetical situation. Let, let's say you're located in a market where OfferPad, Zillow Offers, Open Door are mailing Every single homeowner, every single month, a postcard, just like the one Frank showed. Mm-hmm. And it says, we're going to pay you 375000 or up to four hundred and sixty. And so, mm-hmm. again, let's say that just like Frank gave that example, he pulled the county property records, downloaded whatever it was, 100,000 of them. And all 100,000 of those people are getting a postcard once a month. Technically, they're getting three different postcards per month, one from OfferPad, one from Zillow Offers, and one from Opendoor with a postcard that looks very mm-hmm. similar to that. How, do you, how would you um, recalibrate to get in front of the prospect first prior to them being bombarded with offers from my buyers that are going to probably be higher 
and what you're offering? So it's a brilliant question. Like how would you get higher up on the funnel? So I think it's not about being higher up on the funnel. I think it's about a completely blue ocean. So there are things that Open Door or iBuyers just in general will not buy. They will not buy a house that's older than a certain year. They will not buy a manufactured house. They won't buy houses in certain areas because they can't value them as well as potentially you could. For me, I think it's always foolish when you're trying to go head to head against a million or billion dollar company, you're going to lose. But what you could potentially do is look at what are the opportunities that the hedge funds aren't buying and how could I start a conversation where they're talking only to me? So, you know, sometimes we'll have leads that could potentially be an open door lead and yeah, 100% we would look at selling that deal to them. But also if I'm sending direct mail, something that does cost money, I'm I'm trying to have a conversation that's just with that person. So I'm probably mailing a different list. I'm probably looking at a target property that a hedge fund wouldn't look at, you're just going to run a different strategy. You know, why Why spend double as much to get half the deals? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So basically recalibrate your mail list. So you're hitting up properties that aren't in the buy box of the iBuyers. Oh yeah. Like if you're mailing open doors target list, that's a crazy suicide mission. Just in the same way that they tell you don't start farming a place where there's a dominant agent farming, right? It- <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Chris, have you been on suicide missions before? Were you were you a kamikaze marketer? Um, you know, from a direct mail farming perspective, um, yes, I was. I was. Uh, you know, well, many, many, it, what, right? I lo- I, I'm sorry. I love that. No, that that's marketing such a, suicide. It's mission. such a big. Um, it just hits home. It's a big. It's a big. It's, I, I hope a lot of people um, heard that Isabel's point. I think most people on here that are listening know that um, my group was the Zillow offer partner in Austin, and um, you know, I'm not saying anything that Isabel hadn't already seen said. There is there is a buy box, and um, it's just you know we've had some people come on the show that are in the direct mail farming business, and they've said like you just indicated, don't go into a neighborhood where somebody's already got significant market share. So you know if it was me going into a, a new market, I would you know look at the MLS or tax records, see what is a I buyer owned house, identify what those attributes are, and then make sure I'm not going after them. Yeah, I mean, to your point, for um, I've come up against wholesalers that just could not get traction, could not get traction, could not get traction. Well, they're playing in an area that has everybody and they're competing against everybody. And oftentimes what you'll find is if you move a neighborhood away or an hour away, you could spend those same marketing dollars and get a 10x return. So, I mean, if you're marketing anyone, be smart about where you're marketing. Just for people that are listening to the show, to humor Frank, we downloaded the entire property record list for the entire greater city of Austin, Texas, 400,000 property records. And we were direct mailing them. All of them? Uh, so we were we were sending pallets and pallets of postcards every two weeks. Was that, was that, so, was that a suicide mission? Great mission. That was a su- that was a suicide suicide mission. We were using direct response uh, direct response copy, Dan Kennedy style, but um, it was a suicide mission. The thing that the aha for me as a young marketer, I guess, was when you get to that level, you have to start paying attention to a key metric marketers look at. Which I didn't have a marketing background. I figured this out the hard way, which is CPM your your cost per thousand. And so when you start you know trying to blast a message out to a lot of people. Your cost per thousand is important so that, you know, you keep your acquisition cost in alignment uh, and can actually make a profit. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that I, you know, as we're chatting about this, I think I should probably throw out there. The first mailing I did was not 2000 pieces. The first mailing I did was 200 pieces and it worked exceptionally well. So I expanded it. And then that next expanded model worked exceptionally well, so I expanded it. And so my advice to anybody who wants to try any new strategy would be launch a test mailing, see what the response rate is, make it big enough that you could potentially get a deal out of it, but see what the response rate is, um, and then scale it if it makes sense. 
you don't want to send out 10,000 mail pieces and then realize, oh, goodness, this is also open doors mailing route. I mean, that would be yeah. too bad. Let's talk about your second investment lead source. So thank you for sharing the cold offer system here. That's the main thing I wanted everyone to take. Isabel, this podcast. that was an amazing, an amazing nugget. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. My Dude, Chris, when I saw this, I was up at five in the morning the next morning pulling list running algorithms and taking the purchase contract that's four pages long and like stuffing it down to one front and back and then going into Adobe Adobe Acrobat, like putting all the merge fields in all the little areas and then adding all what the merges are going to be in Excel. So the whole thing just goes out. If everybody... That's, that's like the first thing I did. If everybody could do one thing tomorrow, <laughs> I would seriously do this. And even if you don't want a full investment business, I'd send out maybe 500 in an area that you wanted to just personally invest in. You know, even if you just wanted one rental property that was actually a good deal that you bought off MLS, this is how I would start. I think you don't have to do this at 2,000 mail pieces a week. I think you could do this at a really small scale just to go buy some investment Well, Chris would just jump to off. mailing the entire city. <laughs> well, not Next, let's just go for the whole state. Is on that level, Chris. <laughs> Chris, the reason, the reason I think it didn't work in Austin is because you didn't mail the whole state. I think it was a volume issue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, it's, it's, it's too, um, it's, you know, there's so many factors and for people that have listened to the show, you know, there, there's things you got to factor in like turnover rates and, you know, how long have they owned the house? Like, you know, Isabel mentioned looking at the purchase price and making sure you're only hitting up people that, um, are getting offers higher than the purchase price. It's a lot of variables. And so like, you know, we've had a lot of people on the show that talk about mass media. And so if you're going to go really big and get your message out using a megaphone, like really your only options are radio, TV, and billboard. Otherwise your cost per thousand to do anything else is too high. And it's, you know, your acquisition cost eats up all your profits. What are you willing to spend to get a deal? So what's your, what's your maximum allowance to spend per deal with what you do in wholesaling? So right now I'm at 2,100 about for, um, for a deal. And that's okay with me. I'd be willing to go to 2,500 or 2,800 to get a deal. Um, that's what I hear. It's about two to $3,000 per deal in most markets. Your cost per acquisition on marketing. How many rentals do you have, Isabel? I have nine rentals and eight notes. So I do a lot of seller financing on manufactured housing as well. Cool. Um, the second lead source, and we'll talk about this very briefly. I only spent about five minutes on this. But you mentioned that you can go to before the show. I'll just bring it up to speed things along. Um, there's lead providers, just like there's Zillow in the real estate listing mm-hmm. world. Um, fast home offer, you said, and there's many of them. Why don't you explain how these companies sell you leads and the price of them and what you're willing to pay per lead? Okay. So we used, or we use fast home offer to get wholesale leads. It's typically somebody who is looking for a 30 day all cash close. Um, sometimes they're distressed. Sometimes they're somebody who's just curious. The thing that I like about that particular service is it's a guaranteed lead. So they guarantee that the contact information is good and that it's not already listed in the MLS. We've gotten our highest wholesale fees overall in the business from fast home offer leads. Um, so I do like them. You have to, you have to sort of watch pricing because the, um, the cost per lead will get bid up or bid down. We've paid anywhere from two to $600 per lead. So it can get quite expensive. You have to make sure they're converting at the level you want them to convert. I mean, at $600 a lead, you basically have to be converting one out of every four or it won't make money. Three, yeah. three or four. Yeah. So those exist and you've been doing some of that. Yep, those exist. Let's talk about the third thing about, Yeah. Um, the referral from agents and how you work referral referrals for investment deals. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I've just worked in Northern Arizona a certain amount of time and people know that I do investments both for myself and through quad city properties. So occasionally if an agent is prospecting and they come across something that just would not be right for listing, either they're a hoarder, it's going to take too much work to get it market ready, whatever, they'll refer it over to me and 
I'll get that lead as a wholesale um, referral in instead. I've also had friends who love the idea of a wholesale business, but don't have one themselves, who have cold called for me, tied up the deal, brought it to me, and I've dispositioned it for them. So a lot of times on the wholesale side, you'll actually have two wholesalers that are collaborating together to make a deal happen, um, either splitting the wholesale fee or um, one person will bring the deal, another person will bring the disposition. But we actually do a fair number of deals that way and make great money at it. And it's fun. You get to work with friends. Um, a lot of times those are deals that just fall in your lap that say, hey, I have a deal locked up at 123 Main Street. It's locked up at this price. Would you be interested in selling it for me? Uh, and you have good relationships with these people, even though you're an investor. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of them are friends. Did you follow me yeah. on this? No, it's it's funny because yeah. there is a place in the market for someone who can come in and solve a problem instantly. I think every agent has had that listing that sat and they could not get rid of and they could not get repairs on it. And sometimes having somebody come in with cash who can solve the problem instantly is a godsend. We've also, frankly, had leads that came in that were already listed that indicated they wanted to go the wholesale route. And especially if I know the agent, I'll actually call the agent and say, hey, your listing called us. They want a cash offer. Why don't you let us wholesale it for you? And then we'll pay you a commission at the back end. And everybody wins in that situation. There's nobody undercutting anyone. There's no one doing anything sneaky. You just say, look, we can make this really easy. Um, They're willing to accept this cash offer. It's what we're wanting to pay on it. We know we can sell it. We'll pay you a commission. How's your, I went to your website. Uh, we buy Prescott houses. It's on Carrot. Mm-hmm. So you're using mm-hmm. the Carrot's website. But yes. I haven't heard anything about SEO or pay-per-click mm-hmm. or anything online with your website. Any reason you haven't doubled down on that? Or added that as your as your mix? So only because you have... Only because you have limited opportunities in life. I mean, honestly, we're doing so well with the other lead sources that we just haven't needed to. So you could absolutely do SEO. I will tell you, because we are in a smaller market, it hasn't worked as well for us because you're bidding on keyword terms. And what could potentially happen is you spend a lot for the administration of it. And it's lower traffic volume for the number of people who are ultimately going to on that lead. Yeah. Well, that's been very knowledgeable, Chris. It's just the offer system. Yeah, no doubt. Um, no I'm, doubt, man. I'm, hey, Frank, what we're doing up in Amarillo, <laughs> right? I got yeah. it, I'm already so, hey, Isabel, I have a quick question for you. Um, you know, one of the important things for wholesalers is to have a cash buyer list. Sure. What, are, what are some of the tactical things you do to build mm-hmm. a cash buyer list? So when you get a deal on a contract, you can um, distribute that to potential cash buyers to get a, you know, get a deal executed and close quickly. So that's a really good question. For anybody who wants to have an investment business, one of the things you're going to find that that's going to make or break on is how big their investor list actually is. So one of the metrics we look at in our business is, did our cash buyer list grow every single week? And if it didn't, why not? So the things that we specifically do um, to build that list are number one, any agent in the MLS that works with investors, and you can tell because they're at the low price points, should be on your cash buyer list. So typically, if I'm going into an area, I'll pull the 100 lowest sales on buyer and seller side and add those to our cash buyer list. From there, I'll also pull the cash buyer list from an area from real estate worldwide. So it's a website, it's called Real Estate Worldwide. And what they do is they go into the tax records and they see anyone who paid cash for a house. Now, where I live up in Northern Arizona, we have a lot of retirees. So it's actually not uncommon uh, for someone to move into the area and pay cash just because they're older and their previous house was paid off. So what I'm doing is I'm pulling anyone who's bought two or more properties for cash Um, And they would go into a cash buyer list that we would then text using launch control software so that it would be a legal text saying, hey, I see that you bought some houses for cash in the past. We have some good deals that come across our desk. Would you like to be added to our list? If they say yes, 
we would add it to our text blast list. If they say no, we say, okay, have a great day. Um, we also advertise on Facebook Marketplace. Anyone who responds to any of our ads, even if the property is sold, will say, well, that property sold, but we have more coming up. Let me get your phone number. And we would actually text. Uh, we would add them to our text list as well. Um, what else do we do? And then just word of mouth. So we'll say, you know, anytime I'm talking to an agent, I'll say, hey, do you get our deals? Um, anything like that, we'll always add them. But the goal is you want to add cash buyers to your list every single week. As your cash buyer list increases, so should your wholesale fees. That's awesome. I was taking notes. I want to, I'll add something to the audience for that. Um, oh, I've done it too. And this is just as good as all the ones Isabel shared. Thank you. Is I'll go to list source or I'll use prop stream. And I'll say, give me a list of every single single family home in the past 12 months that's sold to an LLC that is non-owner occupied and the value of the home is under the median price point. Oh, that's good. I'll pull that list. That's really They're good. They're all investors. Then I'll go into Excel. Then I'll go into Excel and I'll identify duplicates by mailing address. By mailing address, because usually it's used different LLCs. And if it's a duplicate, that's what I want because they bought two or more. That's, no, that's actually a really so I get a list of every, good idea. And then, so then what I do is I have the past 12 months of every single sale where an LLC bought it. It's not owner occupied. The vet, the purchase price is under the median price point. It's an investor, like guaranteed. And then once I export it, I look for dupes and I only want the dupes because <laughs> they did more than more than one. <laughs> Follow oh, me. I follow you. So this Let is me. how you buy the active buyer list. These are active buyers, not mm-hmm. someone off Facebook. It's like, yeah, I'll let the buy a deal. The right? reason I'm laughing These is are active my buyers. husband and, and then, I have all our LLCs through the same address. <laughs> on the mailing yep. address. The, the names will yep. be different, but the mailing address is usually the yeah, same. Yeah, you're 100% so you do, right. So you look for duplicates by mailing address. And then what I do is I hire a virtual assistant to go look up every LLC on opencorporates.com or at the Secretary of State's office to find out the name of the owner. So now I have the owner company mailing address and I'll send them a letter. I actually just mail them a letter. Say I'm looking to build a really deep relationship with an investor that can buy quickly, that can actually close. I wanna be legitimate at wholesale. And that's how I built my investor relationships and the phone just rang off direct mail and it was easy. And, And they were all qualified, they all had bags of money. That's the thing. I mean, anybody who has multiple LLCs is doing several dealers a year and they're an actual player. That's a, yeah. that's a great strategy. I love that. Mm-hmm. So that worked well for me. Isabel, we were going to talk about listings, but that's maybe a different show. That's enough. That's about investments. Chris, we have an investing podcast now. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, I think, I think the, the lesson here is open an investment division, separate brand name, separate LLC, Make sure that has all the right disclosures. I'm sure if I went through all your documents, it would be disclosed that you're an yep. agent. And I'm sure all the documents and disclosures would all be in there that you were going to buy the property for a profit or a loss. Yep. Yep. Right? And you have all the right disclosures. Yep. Right? Um, and talk to an attorney about that to make sure that you're always good there. But a separate business and then just mailing out straight offers, man. Like on the actual legal looking purchase contract, no one gets that. Like if you guys want to go online, go to Google. Go to Google. And type in investor, real estate investor postcards or letters and click Google images. And that's all the crap these people are getting. You know what I mean? And Isabel stuff, you know, money flows to differences, not similarities. And you're showing up entirely different. You're going in the A pile, not the B pile. I'm curious, you know, basically like open door offer pad, et cetera. They've been able to basically digitize this on their web user mm-hmm. interface. I wonder how difficult that would be to have your There's website. companies doing that now. Yeah. That will give well, that will spit out the algorithm of the offers for you. There, I don't know the I, we'll probably see them in Inman, Chris. Yeah. But I've been hearing there's companies where it's like, hey, you know, you know, like, you know, like Homebot is like, here's what your home is worth. Mm-hmm. Or like here's what your home is worth systems. Yeah. Now it's like it'll spit out, here's your offer. You'll be able to pay 30, 40 bucks a month here's for service. If you had brokerages. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I was just going to say like brokerages, right? If they could digitize 
the offer on their website and drive traffic there and focus on the out of buy box stuff the iBuyers are getting, then, you know, that could be a way to create a pseudo iBuyer program Oh, easy. through your website as a brokerage. Chris, IP targeting with a Facebook ad with literally their offer just for them back to an online DocuSign. They click a button, they can sell their home while they're while they're late at night watching Netflix by clicking of a button that's sold. <laughs> that's that's the one-click nirvana that Rich Barton wants from probably Zillow. Man, I, I mean, think about it. Think about it. I mean, think about it. IP targeting. Oh my gosh, here's an offer for my home with my price on Facebook. Click. Hey, we'll buy it for this price. Click. It's sold. Whoa. It's sold my house. It's easy. That is Don't discount me, man. I, it, dude, it might that's be. a nirvana. I mean, that is what they're trying to do. You know, ultimately, yeah. um, there's some... Pending, I think there's a pending, uh, not lawsuit or litigation, but there's something pending, I think, with is it the FTC regarding the acquisition of showing time. Because if Zillow is, you know, successful in uh, closing the deal with showing time, you know, they'll control 80% of the lockboxes. So imagine connecting the Zillow app to showing time, right? Integrating that so that if you have the Zillow app, you can automatically as a consumer schedule a showing. And something else lobbyists are pushing right now is that uh, it is um, a violation of the anti-Sherman trust laws to only let uh, members of NAR be able to act to access the lockbox. And it, and it limits emerging technologies that could lower the cost for consumers. So there's some, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on right now. What's even more interesting beyond that is that at some point I realized my investment business was actually a data business, right? And a lot of who you would target is based on the data surrounding the house. So if Zillow starts getting perfect information about who's looking at what house, what type of demand is on what house, they may actually have an unfair advantage by just having that showing time data, right? Because any real estate business it's a it's a data business. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, it's a massive. Yeah. So they have a massive competitive advantage. Like their quality of lead of people walking through a house is going to be exponentially higher than just someone yeah, clicking a button, submitting for information. Right. Well, we'll wrap it up there, Isabel. Thank you so much uh, for sharing this great um, this great just cold offer system along with a few other things you shared. Just staying on the investment side that was pretty cool today and, and showing how you run both the listings we don't get to go in listing generation but uh with the investment division and i want to thank everyone for listening to outside of that isabel thank you so much uh please subscribe to the show listing lead show and thank you all for listening